847 is 366 and 7. Hello and welcome to A Score to Settle, a podcast about movie and TV music. I'm your host, Brian McVicker. Each episode, I focus on music composed for film and television, whether through analyzing a specific score, taking a deep dive into a particular composer's work, or by way of interviews with guests, both those in the industry and also fellow fans. In this episode, I'm celebrating the holiday season by presenting a festively themed topic of music for movies about or set during Christmas. Something which you probably already figured out just from my opening musical selection. (laughs) Incidentally, this is from the 1985 film Santa Claus the Movie. Uh, It's a cue called Christmas Rhapsody. Um, And this particular arrangement uh, was done by the film's composer, Henry Mancini, uh, the beloved film composer, Henry Mancini. And it incorporates several perennial favorite Christmas carols uh, presented in this sort of lush orchestral arrangement. I thought it was a great way to uh, kick off the episode. And I'll return to this film to present a little bit more music from it later on. Of course, Christmas has provided inspiration to artists for generations. From writers like Charles Dickens to classical composers such as George Handel, and eventually it became a favored setting for many movies and TV projects. Not only can the storytellers draw upon the religiosity of the event, um, but they can also draw upon uh, just the history of how Christmas has been celebrated in Western civilization, even from just a secular standpoint. I wanted to present some examples of film and TV scores that showcase this Christmas spirit, some in a very earnest manner, Uh, Others a bit more oblique, uh, maybe even twisted and surprising, uh, something I term Christmas adjacent. So this is all through music uh, composed by talent such as the aforementioned Henry Mancini, as well as Franz Waxman, uh, John Williams, Bruce Broughton, uh, Danny Elfman, and others. So instead of my Halloween special where I was counting down my uh, personal top 10 list of of favorite uh, horror movie scores, what I'd rather do with this installment is highlight some classics throughout the years, uh, from the golden age of Hollywood up to the current era. And we will begin with the first film adaptation of what can be considered Uh, The prototypical Christmas tale, that being A Christmas Carol, uh, written by Charles Dickens and published in 1843. So the MGM studio uh, produced the first American film adaptation uh, in 1938. Uh, This was directed by Edwin L. Marin. Um, uh, This is, of course, as everyone knows, the story of the miserly misanthrope uh, Ebenezer Scrooge and his strange nocturnal encounter with the three ghosts of Christmas and how from this he learns to open his heart and care for others. In this version, uh, which I said was released in 1938, Scrooge is played by British actor Reginald Owen and the score is composed by Franz Waxman, uh, one of the early titans of movie music. I recently featured music from Waxman on my uh, Halloween episode. Um, Specifically, it was his music for the horror classic Bride of Frankenstein. 
Now, that was two years prior to this film, and that had been his American debut, um, as previously, uh, Franz Waxman was a songwriter and an arranger in Berlin. So, this was still early in Waxman's Hollywood career, but he had already become a favorite composer at MGM. Um, he wound up doing you know, almost a dozen projects there. Um, however, due to this production being rushed, uh, it was sort of a mad dash to premiere it in December. Um, apparently, it was supposed to have been a 1939 release, and then they moved it up to 1938. Uh, and it was a very stressful project for Waxman. Um, it, he wound up, he only had 10 days to compose the score. So another composer at MGM, David Snell, uh, joined him to help arrange the traditional Christmas carols uh, for the movie and also added some uh, cues here and there that are based on Waxman's original themes. Uh, So this is all from a score for the movie that is really at times bucolic and bright. Um, And other times uh, the music is very atmospheric and moody, which is uh, very appropriate for the Christmas ghost sequences. So I want to play some music uh, from this cue uh, called Montage and Third Spirit, uh, where uh, we get a little bit of both sides of it. We open uh, with the former material that I mentioned, the bright and bucolic uh, material, and then we transition into the more atmospheric, moody uh, material for the uh, Christmas spirit. So again, this is music from uh, the 1938 uh, version of A Christmas Carol, music by Franz Waxman. This is a cue called Montage and Third Spirit. Thank you. 
in the second half of that cue with the more somber music for the third Christmas spirit. Uh, you can hear a bit of an organ being played, uh, something which is used at times in the score in combination with a vibraphone. So it really gives a good spooky quality uh, to some of those sequences, which is interesting if you think about, you know, how Waxman had two years prior uh, scored Bride of Frankenstein. So he sort of had cut his teeth on uh, some of those horror movie tonalities. Now, I would also like to play one of the Christmas Carol arrangements featured in this score, um, particularly this one is based on uh, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Uh, it's performed here in a delicate manner on uh, Celeste. Now, for any Harry Potter and John Williams fans out there, you might already be familiar with the sound of the Celeste, um, as it's what's heard at the beginning of Hedwig's theme, uh, both on the soundtrack album and uh, it opens up a lot of the earlier films. Uh, but the celeste is this very delicate instrument. It sounds like chimes, but it's actually played more like a, like a piano. Um, so again, this is one of the uh, Christmas Carol arrangements uh, from the 1938 version of uh, Christmas Carol. Um, this one is uh, based on God Resty Merry Gentlemen. Next up, we have another classic from that era of Hollywood movie magic, uh, just under 10 years later. Uh, this is the uh, 1947 version, or I should say the original, uh, Miracle on 34th Street, uh, written and directed by George Seaton and starring Maureen O'Hara and a young Natalie Wood. Uh, interestingly, I also noted that character actor Gene Lockhart uh, is also in the cast here in Miracle on 34th Street, and was also in that 1938 version of Christmas Carol I just mentioned. So Miracle on 34th Street uh, became an immediate classic of the genre of Christmas movies um, and has been produced uh, in several subsequent TV and film remakes throughout the years. The score for the original uh, is composed by Cyril J. Mockridge. Um, now, Mockridge was a consistently working composer from the 1930s to the 1960s. Uh, he provided wonderful music to uh, many projects, uh, films such as The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and then also TV shows like Peyton Place and Lost in Space. Uh, unfortunately, he isn't really as well known, um, even among real ardent soundtrack aficionados, and I don't think as much of his music made it to disc, but there's still some been some releases through the years. Um, his music here for uh, Miracle on 34th Street um, strikes a real cheerful, warm tone. Um, there's a real energetic orchestra uh, with sleigh bells added in, of course, to ring in the holiday. 
Um, and I, I wanted to play uh, one of the cues, uh, a couple of the cues actually from the score, which um, give you that sort of energy. Um, and then there's also some moments where he brings in the traditional Christmas tunes sort of mixed in with his own theme. So um, uh, what you can hear in this cue, uh, I'm going to play store montage and also letter to Santa. Um, Mockridge has his own theme, which is very much a innocent sort of yearning melody. It has these big intervolic leaps. I always kind of, when I hear it, sort of think of a small child that um, I can almost like see their eyes growing big as they kind of jump up at, at uh, the sight of Christmas presents under the tree. And there's something about his melody, uh, his theme for this uh, in this score that kind of gives me that image. But uh, again, this is um, a cue called, uh, two cues called Storm Montage and Letter to Santa uh, from the 1947 Miracle on 34th Street as composed by Cyril J. Mockridge. So that was music from the 1947 Miracle on 34th Street, as composed by uh, Cyril J. Mockridge. I'll actually be following up a little bit later with uh, one of those remakes that I mentioned of this particular movie. But for right now, I'm going to jump forward a few decades and uh, actually present music from another production of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, uh, which, as uh, you probably figured out, quickly proved to be on every studio's shortlist of Yuletide projects. 
So in this instance, I'm focusing on one of the most heralded TV productions of this stalwart story. Uh, This was produced in 1984, uh, directed by Clive Donner, and starring as Ebenezer Scrooge was the towering, powerful presence of George C. Scott, um, who was most well known for uh, his portrayal of George S. Patton in the movie Patton from 1970. Um, Also, David Warner uh, plays Bob Cratchit in this version. So this was actually a British production uh, that was shown theatrically in the UK, but on TV in the US. Um, And it quickly gained status here as a treasured version. Um, It it wound up being run every year. And for me personally, it's really the uh, version of A Christmas Carol that I most associate with the season. Um, I recall watching it with my family um, every Christmas after it was aired from 84 on. So I have a real soft spot for uh, for this particular um, production. Uh, But the music is by composer uh, Nick Bicat. Uh, B-I-C-A-T. Uh, he was born in 1949, um, and he scored many British film and TV productions. He won a BAFTA, uh, composed various musicals and an opera. Uh, now, similar to what we heard for the 1938 version, Bicat's music for Christmas Carol shifts between uh, his own original themes and arrangements of Christmas carols. Now, thanks to a recent release on CD, I... Um, I learned from the liner notes that the filmmakers wanted to avoid any Christmas carols that would be anachronistic to the mid-19th century setting of the story. Uh, Thus, there's no Jingle Bells or Here Comes Santa Claus. In addition, uh, this production actually includes a new Christmas carol composed by Bicat just for this movie. Uh, Now, here is his main title cue, which uh, presents... Um, his main theme, which is a really joyful main theme. This is basically an instrumental version of that Christmas carol I mentioned, um, which I'll play the vocal version of it uh, shortly. Uh, But here's the main title uh, for that 1984 version of A Christmas Carol. Now, there is more thematic variety within the score, uh, such as something unique for each of the three Christmas spirits that visit Scrooge. Um, But as I noted, uh, Bicat took that main melody that we just heard in the main title and embellished it into a memorable Christmas carol, uh, which he titled God Bless Us, Everyone. Uh, Of course, pulling on the uh, phrase from the book. uh, And uh, like I said, it is unique to this version of A Christmas Carol, but it became sort of a a favorite uh, of people who really... uh, 
who really kind of uh, became attached to this version of the of the story. So I wanted to play the rendition that closes out the movie. This is the finale and God bless us everyone from the 1984 version of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> Following on from those initial three Christmas movies that I highlighted, uh, which fall more into the traditional uh, category of the genre, the next title I'm presenting um, is in that more Christmas-adjacent category, as it has a bit more of a darker edge to it, and it's a movie whose Christmas setting is often overlooked, since it's not really the main plot. Uh, This would be Gremlins uh, from 1984, same year as uh, what we were just talking about with A Christmas Carol. Directed by Joe Dante, written by Chris Columbus, and starring Zach Galligan and Phoebe Cates. Uh, It's the horror-slash-comedy with those cuddly creatures that mutate into cruel monsters when they eat after midnight, all occurring in a small, snow-covered town on Christmas Eve. The score is by the legendary Jerry Goldsmith, who almost needs no introduction on my show since I I feel like I I mention him pretty much every episode. Uh, This was his second time collaborating with uh, director Joe Dante uh, after their segment in Twilight Zone, the movie, uh, just the year before. Now, Goldsmith's score isn't overtly Christmassy. He doesn't really kind of um, uh, stress that, the setting of the movie. Um, There really aren't sort of any sleigh bells heard anywhere. Um, he's more, he's, his focus is scoring more of the idyllic nature of the town, um, contrasted against the wicked nature of the gremlins. However, there is one specific sequence late in the movie, um, which is during this sobering monologue by Phoebe Cates' character about why she hates Christmas. And Goldsmith underscores it with an arrangement of Silent Night, Holy Night that moves from sort of a tentative, tone into a real sort of creepy tone um so i wanted to play a bit of that cue here so again this is it's actually a cue called no santa claus uh this is from gremlins in 1984 uh, as composed by jerry goldsmith 
It's interesting what actually makes it, uh, what turns that arrangement creepy. And basically it's when you've got the really high strings playing Silent Night and then the really low basses sort of um, echoing it. Um, so it just sounds like it's these low basses are almost mocking the high strings that they play it really earnest and the low strings are sort of almost mocking it. Uh, it, it it's really effective. Uh, but it's, it's kind of like that one part of the score where... Um, Goldsmith sort of acknowledges the Christmas setting of the movie. Um, all right, so I'm shifting the tone back to the more traditional vibe um, as my next seasonally appropriate score to Spotlight is from 1985, and this is Santa Claus the Movie, which I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, with music by Henry Mancini. Uh, the movie was directed by Jeannot Swark and stars uh, Dudley Moore and John Lithgow. Uh, so I mentioned we already heard some music from this movie uh, when I opened the episode, and that was uh, in the queue Christmas Rhapsody, which was that medley of carols that uh, Henry Mancini arranged. But he also composed a great deal of original material uh, and placed it in a really grand, lush orchestral setting for the movie. Now, this was the same year that Mancini also composed a wonderfully large-scale orchestral score for the um, space vampire movie Life Force, which has its own cult following, but the score is fantastic. Um, and with Santa Claus the movie, uh, this was a very big budget attempt to craft an origin story for St. Nick. And it was produced by the Salkins. Um, they had actually previously produced the first three Christopher Reeve Superman movies and also Supergirl in 1984. In fact, this movie has the same director as Supergirl. So they were very used to handling big budgets, big sets. Uh, they, they wanted, you know, uh, every, everything to be an epic scale in their movies. Um, now, as far as the music, since the 1960s, Henry Mancini really was primarily known more for his jazz and comedic scores. Uh, there was Breakfast at Tiffany's and there was the Pink Panther movies and, you know, pretty much almost every Blake Edwards movie. Um, and often these scores were built uh, from a central pop song that Mancini wrote. And uh, he also had best-selling records showcasing all of these pop tunes that he wrote. But every now and then he was able to really flex his orchestral muscles in a more broad fashion. Um, and that's something that is displayed 
um, here in this score and also Life Force, like I mentioned, from the same year. So I want to play a cue um, called The Magic Workshop. And again, this is from Santa Claus the Movie from 1985, composed by Henry Mancini. So that was the cue, the magic workshop from Henry Mancini's score for Santa Claus, the movie. Um, recently, Quartet Records actually put out a three-disc set of this score, um, basically uh, the entire complete score and then also the album version that uh, had originally come out. Um, so if anyone's a fan of, of Mancini or, or even you know the movie, um, it's worth checking out. Uh, there's some really spectacular music, and, and he's able to sort of, like I said, let fly with the orchestra in, in a lot of these uh, flying sequences, um, and uh, it, it's just a really engaging, melodic, and um, and really winning score, I think. So before we continue our journey of music for various Christmas-themed or Christmas-adjacent movies, uh, I just wanted to give a quick recap of where we've been. Uh, so we started out in 1938 with Franz Waxman's score for the first American film adaptation of Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Uh, then there was the original Miracle on 34th Street from 1947, uh, music by Cyril J. Mockridge. Uh, this was followed by the 1984 British production of A Christmas Carol, music by Nick Bacat. Uh, then we took a left turn into the playfully cruel Gremlins from 1984 <laughs> uh, with a score by Jerry Goldsmith. And then we just heard the music by Henry Mancini for Santa Claus the Movie in 1985. Now, continuing on... Uh, we arrive at yet another adaptation of Dickens' A Christmas Carol. But this time, it's presented with sort of a sardonic, humorous, and sometimes darker twist. Um, this would be Scrooged from 1988, uh, directed by Richard Donner, the same Richard Donner who directed The Omen and Superman and The Goonies, and starring Bill Murray and Karen Allen, uh, with a score by Danny Elfman. Now, in this version, the Ebenezer Scrooge character is sort of morphed and renamed um, into a character named Frank Cross, who's a TV executive uh, played by Bill Murray. Uh, but otherwise, most of the movie sort of follows the same general track as the, uh, the familiar story. Uh, but this project actually came along pretty early in Elfman's now 30-plus year career. 
uh, only three years after his big break with Pee Wee's Big Adventure uh, in 85. And then this was the same year as as Beetlejuice, uh, which were his initial collaborations with director Tim Burton. Now, his music for Scrooge um, bears many of what would emerge as his trademarks, uh, basically the, the hallmarks of his style that uh, people really gravitated towards and love uh, with these bouncy rhythms, uh, quirky instrumentation, children's choir, and here we have some added sleigh bells for the festive edge. Um, and this is all heard right at the outset of the main title cue. Uh, so I want to play some of that main title cue where you'll you'll hear a lot of those trademarks, and there's also this really sort of portentous, doom-laden main theme on low brass. So again, this is the main title uh, from Scrooge uh, from 1988 by Danny Elfman. As a side note, uh, it's kind of fascinating to consider Scrooge as sort of the the musical seed that would sprout in in later films that Elfman scored, uh, such as Edward Scissorhands, Nightbreed, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, and even Sleepy Hollow, um, because it's sort of an embryonic stage. You can hear all of those various um, sonic elements that uh, fans really and, and movie audiences came to love and associate with Danny Elfman that that are now uh, considered so much of his sound, you can describe something as Elfman-esque. Um, and it was still developing in the, in the 80s, but it really sort of started to coalesce here, um, you know, with all of those elements that I that I mentioned. Um, now, in another cue early in the movie um, called Frank's Award and Elliot on the Street, uh, we actually hear chimes echo what had just been sung by the children's choir in the main title. And then this is followed by some perky passages, uh, an oompa-like brass, and then this slurring guitar, which sort of sketches out a secondary theme in the score. Um, so I want to play it here for just a bit of contrast to, uh, to the main title. Um, but this is uh, from Scrooge, again, uh, composed by Danny Elfman. This is a cue called Frank's Award and Elliot on the Street. Thank you. 
So that was music from Scrooge from 1988, composed by Danny Elfman. Um, in the liner notes, actually, there's an expanded release of this score from La La Land Records. And in the liner notes, Danny Elfman's agent, Richard Kraft, shares an anecdote which I found interesting. In he described how Scrooge was sort of Elfman's first brush with studio politics. Um, prior to that, just his early, just those few early films leading up to it had mostly been with Tim Burton. And uh, you know, they had such a great working relationship. There's never really any disagreements. They were always simpatico about everything. And that Scrooge was the first time he had to deal with a committee uh, and sort of like getting things approved. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, in the same year as Scrooge, this is 1988, there was a movie released that no one expected to become such a beloved classic, uh, let alone a movie that now falls under the banner of Christmas movies, and that would be Die Hard. Uh, it's sort of the little action movie that could. Um, it was directed by John McTiernan and stars uh, Bruce Willis with music composed by Michael Kamen. I think that similar to Gremlins, Die Hard is more of a Christmas-adjacent movie in that Christmas is just the background setting and the plot doesn't really hinge on any of the usual tropes of the Christmas movie since it's sign of more of a heist. Um, in fact, for years, it never even occurred to me personally to call Die Hard a Christmas movie, but it really has become a Yuletide favorite uh, in the last decade or so. Um, now, composer Michael Kamen apparently caught onto this fact uh, as he employs some sampled sleigh bells throughout the playful score, and he even quotes uh, the, the song Winter Wonderland. Um, I actually find that uh, Michael Kamen really had sort of a, a cheeky predilection for sneaking in musical quotes in his music. Uh, sometimes it comments on the action directly or sort of sardonically, and sometimes I think it was just to amuse himself. Uh, now, his Die Hard score's most prominent aspect uh, that most everyone you know usually acknowledges and recognizes is how he incorporated um, segments of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, specifically the Ode to Joy from the final uh, movement of the Ninth Symphony, and came and uses that for the theme for the villain Hans Gruber and his group of bad guys. But if you listen carefully, you'll also hear Singing in the Rain show up in several permutations. So here's a part of the cue, Terrorist Entrance, um, which you'll pick up on the uh, quotes from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, and then also you'll hear a little bit of singing in the rain.
Uh, it's interesting to me that even when scoring these uh, manly action movies, uh, Michael Kamen really displayed such a sense of humor in his music, uh, whether it was Die Hard or The Last, uh, Last Boy Scout or um, Lethal Weapon. Uh, it's something that really makes the movies themselves become that much more endearing, um, even if you're not really conscious of it. Um, the, the personality that is, you can really get a sense of, I, I should say, Cayman's personality behind the music. Um, so it's not just something generic uh, filling in the silence. Um, and Die Hard wasn't even the first action picture that he scored set during Christmas. Uh, just the year prior, in 87, he composed the music for the first Lethal Weapon, uh, starring uh, Danny Glover and uh, Mel Gibson. Uh, it's often forgotten that the first Lethal Weapon actually does take place during the holidays, um, and you'll even hear sleigh bells in that Michael Kamen score, too. It's just, again, one of those Christmas-adjacent movies, since the plot doesn't really hinge on it. But uh, moving on to my next Christmas movie, I wanted to spotlight the movie Prancer from 1989. Uh, this was directed by John Hancock and stars Sam Elliott and Cloris Leachman in a story about a young girl who finds an injured reindeer, uh, which she nurses back to health, believing it to be a part of Santa's team that pulls his sleigh. The music is by French composer Marie Char, uh, to whom I devoted an entire episode of the show earlier this year, uh, so his name might be familiar to some of my longtime listeners. Um, Jar was in a, a typically busy year in 1989. This was one of four films that he scored, uh, including the critical and popular hit Dead Poet Society, uh, which was, you know, one of the, the most notable pictures in the 80s that had his name attached to it. This was during the decade, uh, where Jar was, uh, he had introduced electronics more into his scoring palette, um, either combining it with an orchestra or using it in all synth ensembles like in Witness. Um, his music for Prancer is of the former, though, uh, with a lot electronics sort of as part of the orchestra, but sometimes the electronics take the lead. Um, he also adds in this male choral element, um, which you'll hear in this cue I'm going to play in a moment, and this choir often double the strings uh, in the main melodic line. Now, the melody itself, the main theme, I find really infectious. It sort of slowly ascends in a stepwise motion uh, sort of in an easygoing manner, uh, like it's the most natural thing for that melodic line to do. I find it a very comforting melody, strangely enough, it's almost like a cozy blanket. Maybe it's just sort of the, uh, the, the yuletide sense of it. Um, but it's it sort of ascends not in a overcoming manner, like it's trying to rise above something, but just sort of it ascends in the most natural sort of way, I think is interesting. But um, here is this uh, main theme presented in the end credits cue. So this is from Prancer uh, from 1989, as composed by Marie Jarre.
So again, that was music from 1989's Prancer. That was the end credits cue as composed by Marie Char. So my next selection uh, is from the very next year. It was a modestly budgeted movie about a kid who accidentally gets left behind at home during Christmas. And it wound up as the biggest movie of 1990, surprisingly so, and is still a pop culture touchstone to this day. This would, of course, be Home Alone, uh, directed by Christopher Columbus, who also wrote Gremlins, uh, I might have mentioned earlier, and starring Macaulay Culkin, Catherine O'Hara, and Joe Pesci, among many others. So John Williams is the one who provided the music, the peerless John Williams. Uh, He composed uh, original themes, uh, new Christmas carols, and incorporated some traditional carols along the way within the body of the score. Now, it's a score that uh, has playful and and mischievous moments uh, mixed along with uh, real sentiment, uh, while it never gets saccharine. Um, And it's all presented together in a very graceful, classy manner, uh, as per William's forte. Now, the sentiment uh, is mainly carried by way of the melody uh, called Somewhere in My Memory, which is really the main theme, and it's heard in both instrumental and vocal versions uh, with lyrics by Leslie Brickus. You'll hear this melody right at the start of the main title track, which I'll play, which is then followed by the secondary theme, uh, the one it's a bit more uh, playful and mischievous, played on celeste and woodwinds uh, with the sleigh bells added in, uh, which is often used to underscore the crooks uh, in the film and the traps that uh, Macaulay Culkin's character sets out for them. Uh, So this is the main title track from Home Alone from 1990 as composed by John Williams.
So that was music from the main title uh, for Home Alone. Um, Another fun element of William's score for this movie um, is its nod to Tchaikovsky um, and his uh, very famous uh, Nutcracker Ballet. Uh, Williams has this sort of bright scherzo called Holiday Flight, uh, which is, of course, when the, the family is scrambling to get to the airport. And this cue really recalls the dance sequences, the real vibrant dance sequences from the famous uh, concert work by Tchaikovsky. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of touch on that and uh, play this cue uh, called Holiday Flight from Home Alone. So Home Alone was such a huge success that, of course, they followed it up with a sequel a couple years later. Most of the same cast and crew returned, uh, including Williams. Uh, so this is for Home Alone 2, uh, which came out in 1992. And uh, Williams uh, responded again with a really richly orchestrated score. Uh, so it's another another winner. But uh, what I wanted to do was move on to uh, just a few short years after that, after even Home Alone 2, uh, to 1994, uh, where there was another unexpected holiday classic released, one that almost creates its own category by being such a uniquely strange and somewhat melancholy film that celebrates both Halloween and Christmas. This is the stop-motion animated musical fantasy The Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, directed by Henry Selick, written by Tim Burton, with a score and songs by composer Danny Elfman. Now, in a similar fashion to other Tim Burton's, uh, to Tim Burton's other projects, the uh, the story concerns characters that are sort of outside the norm and often trying to fit in unsuccessfully. Uh, but in Nightmare Before Christmas, at least, they wind up sort of celebrating the differences by the end. In addition to both songs and score, Elfman also voices the male lead, Jack Skellington, uh, pretty much making his role in this project equal to Burton and Selleck in terms of uh, story and character directions. Uh, something unusual for uh, for a film composer. Uh, but speaking to that, I wanted to read a quote from Tim Burton about this project. Um, this is from a book called Dance Macabre, uh, written by Jeff Bond, which was included in this big box set of music from Elfman and Burton uh, projects. It was released about five or six years ago. Um, but this quote from Burton uh, says, quote, Danny got involved before almost anybody. I think he was working on it before anybody was. I remember Danny and I just sitting down and kind of going, well, this is the rough idea of the story, and Danny was just writing. I would go over to his house, and we would treat it like an operetta, not like the musicals that Disney did, but more like that old-fashioned kind of thing, where the songs are more ingrained in the story. I would begin to tell him the story, and he'd write a song. He wrote them pretty quickly. Actually, at least the initial pass on them. End quote. So, 
I'd like to play some of the uh, the cue called Christmas Eve Montage from Nightmare Before Christmas. It's a really energetic instrumental medley of several themes of the score, uh, which are also heard in vocal versions in the movie. Um, plus, if you listen to this cue and think back to what we heard in Elfman's score from Scrooge a bit earlier, uh, those really colorful hallmarks uh, that, you, that you heard there, the children's choir, sleigh bells, these really energetic rhythms, sort of an oompa band uh, brass element, they're all sort of here and embellished and expanded upon, so you can sort of hear how those trademarks carry through uh, through the years. So here's a bit of Christmas Eve montage from Nightmare Before Christmas, as composed by Danny Elfman. In putting together the selections for this Christmas-themed episode, uh, I knew I was going to do uh, selections from both Scrooge and Nightmare Before Christmas by Elfman. But in reviewing um, a lot of the movies in his career, I was reminded that there were Christmas scenes also in Edward Scissorhands and Batman Returns from 1990 and 92, respectively. Uh, so I could have also uh, played music from those movies, even though they're sort of, again, Christmas adjacent, uh, that there are scenes in there, but they don't really revolve around uh, Christmas as per se in their plot. But I found it interesting that three of those four uh, movies are Tim Burton films. Uh, and so it just goes towards uh, the, the idea that Tim Burton is, has always seemed to have been interested in visual uh, representations of Christmas in his movies and sort of a left-of-center viewpoint on them, something that's a little more ironic or a little bit twisted. And then Elfman, uh, musically, uh, definitely kind of really likes to dig his teeth into a, a Christmas milieu as far as sonically and adding the sleigh bells and children's choir, something they both seem to find fascinating. Now, in the same year as Nightmare Before Christmas, there was a more traditional holiday film released, this being a remake of the 1947 Miracle on 34th Street, uh, this version directed by Les Mayfield and starring Richard Attenborough, Elizabeth Perkins, and Mara Wilson, with music composed by Bruce Broughton. So this version follows pretty much the same structure as the original, with a, a young girl uh, convinced uh, that a store Santa Claus is the real deal. 
Um, now, Broughton responds uh, with a really joyous and sonorous orchestral score, something unabashedly celebratory for the uh, Christmas season. Um, Bruce Broughton is really well known as a, as a composer for very robust uh, orchestral scores. Um, he, uh, before this, uh, was well known for providing music for the Western Silverado uh, in 85, which he got an Oscar nomination for. Also, Young Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Tombstone, Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, so he has a really great, uh, richly orchestral style. Um, so it fit well for having this uh, this movie that sort of is celebrate, you know, celebrating the the Christmas season. Uh, now it's interesting to note, uh, however, that Bruce Broughton had originally been set to score 1990s Home Alone. Um, his name is even on uh, early release posters uh, for it. But uh, he wound up being booked uh, on another project. And so uh, John Williams is actually hired to replace him at the last minute by Christopher Columbus. So it's kind of fascinating in that regard. Um, but And Bruce Broughton eventually got his chance to score a big Christmas movie uh, with this uh, Miracle on 34th Street version. Um, and his music here is really wonderful. So I wanted to play the main title. So again, this is Bruce Broughton, the main title from Bruce Broughton's score for Miracle on 34th Street from 1994. While I'm sure I'm going to be skipping over many favorites of those who are listening, uh, I'm actually going to be leaping forward about uh, 10 years, almost 10 years, in order to reach my final Christmas movie selection for this special episode. Uh, it's from 2003. Uh, this is the family comedy movie Elf, directed by John Favreau, starring Will Ferrell and James Caan, uh, with music by John Debney. This is the movie of a normal boy named Buddy uh, who was inadvertently raised as an elf, and then he travels from the North Pole out to find his real family. Composer John Debney, uh, he often collaborates with John Favreau uh, on other movies such as Zathura, uh, Iron Man 2, and The Jungle Book, uh, the recent live-action version. And he's a real chameleon of the art form. Uh, he's able to shift his style between musical genres uh, pretty effectively. 
And uh, early in his career, he was primarily known for comedies, but he can really bring in epic sweeping melodies when needed. Uh, Debney also provided music for Cutthroat Island, Bruce Almighty, uh, The Princess Diaries, and Passion of the Christ, uh, directed by Mel Gibson. Now, for his main theme for Elf, uh, it's this sweet, unassuming tune that sort of descends. Um, it's very sweet and unassuming, basically like the character of Buddy that Will Ferrell uh, plays. Uh, it's actually often performed by a group of whistlers, which you'll hear in this cue I'm going to play from the score called Buddy's Journey. Uh, now, it's a cue that occurs earlier in the film, uh, which basically accompanies Buddy as he's journeying from the North Pole to New York City. Uh, in search of his real family. So again, this is the cue Buddy's Journey from Elf, composed by John Debney. And so, as Buddy successfully traversed the miles from the North Pole to New York City, we've now progressed in this episode through the years, from 1938 to 2003, through several productions of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, two versions of Miracle on 34th Street, and included some interesting uh, little twisted side trips for both troublemaking gremlins and troublemaking German terrorists. Uh, regardless, uh, all of these features um, include some fantastic music composed by uh, very gifted composers, really able to be enjoyed any time of the year. But I feel it's time to wrap up this uh, very special episode, uh, no pun intended. Um, and now, as always, I want to thank everyone for listening today to this Christmas-themed special episode and indulging me as I showcase selections from various movies about or occurring around the holiday season. Uh, I hope you found it both entertaining and enlightening, uh, and I hope you'll forgive me for not including your own personal favorites. Uh, maybe next year I can uh, swing my podcast sleigh back around for another visit to this topic. Music in this episode is from the following films and composers. A Christmas Carol from 1938 by Franz Waxman. Miracle on 34th Street from 1947 by Cyril J. Mockridge. A Christmas Carol uh, from 1984 uh, by Nick Bacot. 
Gremlins by Jerry Goldsmith, Santa Claus the Movie by Henry Mancini, Scrooged uh, by Danny Elfman, Die Hard by Michael Kamen, Prancer by Marie Char, Miracle on 34th Street from 1994 by Bruce Broughton, uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas by Danny Elfman, Elf by John Debney, and we're closing out with a Christmas Carol medley uh, from Home Alone. If you'd like to send any comments or questions, you can email the show at escortasettlepodcast at gmail.com, find the blog at escortasettle.blogspot.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash escortasettle, and on Twitter at uh, score2settlepod. That's score the number two, settle pod. If you listen to the show by way of iTunes, feel free to leave a rating and a review. That's always appreciated. Now, I want to wish everyone a very happy holiday season. However you choose to celebrate it, just remember to celebrate it with kindness and compassion towards others. I want to thank everyone who listens, whether this is your first episode or whether you've been listening since the beginning. This has pretty much been my first uh, full year recording this podcast, and it's been a really fun uh, and rewarding uh, creative endeavor. Uh, So I'm looking forward to doing uh, further episodes next year in 2019. But thank you very much to everybody. 